0: The reading from the Bible today comes from Acts 13, 1 through 12. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elimas, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimas and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun." immediately mist and darkness came over him and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand when the proconsul saw what had happened he believed for he was amazed at the teaching about the lord
1: thank you for the reading of god's true word you know i looked at this passage and I knew there was a longer passage, quite a few verses, some difficult names and places to pronounce, and I thought, what a great weekend to have somebody else read it so that I don't have to, but Lori did a great job. Thanks for doing that once again. If you're new with us, I just want to give you a special welcome. So glad you're joining us here at Faith E. Church. We've been going through a sermon series titled, Saul of Tarsus. Five weeks we're spending talking about Saul of Tarsus. This is week three. First two weeks, we talked about His conversion. Saul of Tarsus was on the road to Damascus. He was going to Damascus because he wanted to capture, kill, persecute as many Christians as he possibly could. His goal in life was this, to destroy the church. That's what he was going to do. That's what he was trying to do. That was until his complete worldview was flipped upside down. His whole world was flipped upside down because he met a very alive and well Jesus of Nazareth. And from that point on, the road to Damascus, meeting Jesus, Saul's life would never be the same. His conversion is nothing short of a miracle. Now, one thing we haven't talked about the last couple of weeks regarding Saul's conversion is that also on the road to Damascus, he was commissioned by Jesus himself. Commission meaning Jesus told him what he would do, what his mission was, what he would be sent out to do. And the very first thing that Jesus says to Saul after he meets him on that road to Damascus, he says this, Saul, get up and go. Get up and go. That's what Jesus says to him. Immediately after Saul met Jesus, he was sent. And that's the case for all of us as Christians. We're all called to be sent. We're all called to be sent. That's why, hence the title to today's message. It's just one word. should be easy to remember. It's the word sent. And specifically, what Saul was commissioned to do by Jesus, we see in Acts 26, verses 17 and 18. Because Jesus told him this. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you, Saul, to them, to the Gentiles, to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins in a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. I want you to think for just a moment about those words I just read. Acts 26. What Jesus was saying to Saul. Saul. A Pharisee of Pharisees, I mean about as Jewish as you could get, Jesus is saying, Saul, I'm going to send you. I'm, sending you, I'm sending you to Gentiles. Gentiles meaning that people that aren't Jewish. That's who he's being sent to. Saul, who had been living in spiritual darkness, experiencing physical darkness, was being sent to the Gentiles who were living in spiritual darkness. He was being sent to them to open their eyes and to lead them from darkness to light. This is good, isn't it? I mean, come on. You can't make this up. This is the inspired and errant word of God. It's good stuff. It's what he's being sent to do. And I just love how God uses some of the most unlikely people to do some of the most extraordinary things to accomplish his divine will, Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus. Well, the sending of Saul to the Gentiles is now upon us in Acts chapter 13. And I think there's great application for us today both as a collective church body and as individuals with what we're going to be studying here in Acts 13. I believe there is, because let's just be honest and real about something, and I'm totally in this boat. Sometimes we don't want to go anywhere, right? Sometimes we just don't want to be sent. You know... Like I said, I'm, I'm in this boat a lot of times, too. Matter of fact, uh, I want to share a gift that my wife, Janet, gave me many years ago on Father's Day, if I could. And it's a t-shirt, and here it is. I brought it with me, um, and I'd like to share this with you. Um, there's a picture of me up on the screen, too. Now, by your, your laughter, I'm guessing a lot of you can read what this says, but in case you can't, um, It says this, sorry I'm late, I didn't want to come. So she got this for me many years ago on Father's Day because, like I said, I can get in one of those moods sometimes. When it's time to go somewhere, we have to go somewhere, I'm like, you know, I really don't want to go. I just want to stay home. I almost throw a little bit of a fit, like kick against the goads. We talked about that a few weeks ago. And so here's, I think, how I react and how I rebel against going. I start finding everything else that I can do, and I just start doing something else besides getting ready to go. This is awkward. Is anybody else going to end this with me? you ever done this? Okay, thank you. I knew, I, I knew there was a few. And so, you know, as an example of that, Um, not long ago, we were supposed to go someplace, and and I start changing all the light bulbs in the house, (laughs) and Janet comes up to me, and she says, what are you doing? We're supposed to like leave in five minutes, and I said, well, I'm changing the light bulbs. They need to be changed. That's why she got me that shirt. Sorry, I'm late. I really didn't want to come. You're probably seeing what I'm talking about here. Again, maybe you've experienced that As well. And by the way, thanks for letting me share that t shirt with y'all this morning because I've found that I can't wear that thing very often. The last time I wore it was to a family function. We showed up late. Everybody's looking at my shirt and it was kind of awkward for a little bit. You know what I mean? So thanks for letting me share that with you. But you know what I've found? It seems like more often than not, almost every time, probably every time, when God calls us and sends us somewhere, when I'm sent somewhere and need to go, it's like on the car ride home, I find myself always saying these words, That was good. I'm leaving encouraged. I'm so glad we went. And it's really not a surprise because as Christians, we're all meant to be sent. We're all meant to be sent. And I think Acts 13 helps us with that attitude, sorry I'm late, I really didn't want to be here, because what we're going to see in Acts 13, verses 1 through 3, is a church that sent people. When it came time to send people, they were open-handed, and they sent. And then we're going to see a couple people who, when it was time for them to go, they just went. They didn't go find something else to do, like change a bunch of light bulbs, no, they just listened to the Holy Spirit and they went. And I find such encouragement and a great example for us today. Now, I believe it's easy to go from Saul's conversion to what we're going to be studying today and think that just a few weeks, a few months had passed. It's easy to think that from Acts chapter 9 to Acts chapter 13, we're just talking a few months. But to help build some context, actually at least 13 to 14 years have passed since his conversion to his first missionary journey, what we're studying today. Three of those years were spent in a, in a desert area called Arabia. That's in Galatians chapter 1. Seven of those years were spent in a place called Tarsus. It's where he's from. And it's where a guy named Barnabas goes and finds Saul. And that's kind of where we pick up today in verse 1. And you can open your Bibles if you haven't already. Acts chapter 13, we'll be going through verses 1 through 12, uh, what was read earlier. There in verse 1, we see five people who are listed. We're told these are prophets and teachers. These are really leaders in that early church in Antioch. And what was happening there in Antioch is there was a movement that was taking place. Many people were beginning to follow Jesus. They were turning to Christianity. And so the church there in Jerusalem sends Barnabas to Antioch because the church is forming there in Antioch. And Barnabas wants to take Saul along with him. And you'll notice Barnabas is the first one listed in that group of five, most likely because he was the leader among the leaders, and this is what Acts 11.24 says about Barnabas. He was a good man. Full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Hmm. How would you like that to be said about you? He, he was a good man. He was a good, she was a good woman. Full of faith. Full of the Holy Spirit. How would you like the Bible to record that about you? Matter of fact. Barnabas. It's interesting. His his original his real name was uh, Joseph, J O S C S. But the disciples called him Barnabas, which means "son of encouragement," and an encourager he was. He was also a mentor to Saul of Tarsus, because you see, after Saul's conversion, none of the other disciples wanted anything to do with the guy. And can you blame him? I mean, Saul had persecuted and killed Christians. So the disciples didn't want anything to do with Saul. But Barnabas heard his story. He listened to him. He believed him. He embraced him. And he included him. Kind of safe to say that Barnabas is kind of like a pastor among pastors. You know what I mean? It's Barnabas. And then we get to verse 2 after we see that little discussion about the leaders. And verse 2 begins this way It says, While they, while they, and I want to stop there because the word they isn't just referring to the five leaders. It's referring to the church there in Antioch as a whole, all those Christians who make up the church, it's saying, while they as a church were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. They heard from the Lord, this church, Antioch, they heard from the Lord, from the Holy Spirit, the third person of the triune Godhead, and how did the Holy Spirit speak to them? I really don't know, we're not told, not sure exactly. But we know when it happened. It was when they were worshiping the Lord, when they were praying, when they were fasting. They were told to set apart Saul and Barnabas for the work they were called to do. So what's the church in Antioch do? Well they they did what any church would do. They they formed some teams, uh, vision teams, one, three, five-year strategy teams to help set up Saul and Barnabas', Barnabas Barnabas's mission. Um, they got some whiteboards, uh, they drew some decision trees, they got together a bunch of spreadsheets and then started to make things happen. That's what they did, right? No! They didn't do any of that. Now look, those aren't bad things. I like whiteboards. I I drag one around, ask the staff. Everywhere I go, I seem to have one. I like decision trees. I like long-range planning. Lonnie likes spreadsheets. I mean, these aren't bad things, right? But the church, no. What they did is they kept praying. They kept fasting. They laid their hands on Saul and Barnabas, and they sent them off. They shot them off just like that. That's what they did. They kept praying and fasting. We continue to see those two words In the course of this study, Saul of Tarsus, don't we? I mean, when Saul was blinded by the light of Christ for three days, he fasted. He prayed. Here we have this church. They're fasting, praying. They're sending off. They're fasting, praying. And I want to key in on that word fasting for a few minutes because clearly it's a big deal. We continue to see that. And fasting means going without food. That's what it means. It's not eating. Still drinking, still staying hydrated, drinking water, but going without food. And it's really a time meant to be set apart for the Lord. A typical fast uh, for a day begins at at sunrise and ends at sundown. It's a time, really, not so much to get from the Lord, but to give to Him. And when the hunger pangs come, it's a time to spend in focused prayer to God. Talking to Him, of course, listening to Him. And Jesus said to the disciples, when you fast, not if you fast, it was an expectation, it was something that they just did, it was part of their life. It's what they did as a follower of Jesus. It's really a rhythm, a discipline, a practice, whatever word you want to use there, for all followers of Jesus, for all disciples. That's what's taking place. But yet, it seems like fasting is just something that doesn't really happen much anymore. In full transparency, I really, most of my life, have not been very good at fasting. Hasn't been a discipline, hasn't been a rhythm in my own life, just hasn't. As a follower of Jesus, you know, and there were times in my life that a lot of you know about my health journey, I just could not fast, I couldn't go without food, it would have been physically unwise for me during those three journeys through cancer. And you might be in a position, whatever's going on in your life, it might be physically unwise for you too. The Lord knows that, but for most of my life, I've been able to fast, and like I said, just haven't had a great rhythm around it. But recently, I've been fasting on Fridays. It's just a day in the week that works well for me going into the weekend. And I say that not to say, yay, Paul, good job, Paul, you're fasting now. No, I say that to encourage you, because you know what happens on Fridays for me? <laughs> it's a time during the week that I sense the presence of God in my life more than probably just about any other time during the week. And it's not because God is closer to me. Oh no, it's because I'm drawing closer to him and leaning into him. That's what happens. And so here it is. If you don't have a rhythm, if you don't have a practice of fasting in your life, I'd encourage you. I dare you. I double dog dare you to give it a try. Give it a try. See what the Lord does. See what he does. Because you know when these spiritual practices, these disciplines of praying, of fasting just become a part of who we are, that's where long-term spiritual growth takes place, both in the church and for us as individuals. Could you imagine? Think about if all the churches in North America, if all the churches in the world were full of people who were immersed in God's word, who were praying, who were fasting on a consistent basis. Oh, watch out, devil. That gives me the goosebumps. And may it be so. That's the church in Antioch. Praying, fasting. It's a church that sends. They placed their hands on Saul and Barnabas, and they sent them off. They sent them off. And the placing on of hands, there wasn't anything magical about that. The only thing really on their hands was probably some dirt, some sweat, and maybe a lot of germs. But the placing on of hands and the sending off was a statement by the church saying, we're in this with you, we're in this together. We're commissioning, we're releasing you to go and do the kingdom work that God has called you to do. Saul and Barnabas. That's what they did. Send them off, Saul and Barnabas, arguably the two best leaders in that church. Really, if you wanted to put it that way, because we see a little earlier in Acts that they've been teaching there in Antioch for a year. The church is growing; it's on fire. There's lots of work to do. They, They maybe they have like a building project that needs to be completed. Certainly, there's a lot of people that need to be discipled. But the church in Antioch, they send off; they release their two best leaders pray fast they release him without hesitation that's a church that sends it's a church that sends i want you to know that i'm not going to end the message today or we're not going to end the series with an announcement that we're sending some of our staff off we don't have that kind of an announcement plan we don't but should the lord call us to ever do that and by his grace may he call us to do that one day again We need to be prepared and ready to send. And let me just say this. It's a privilege. I am grateful to be part of a church body. I'm grateful to be part of this this church called Faith E. And the legacy that this church has around being a sending church. So thankful. I am so thankful because God has used this church at Faith E to send about over 20 years ago to send several people up to the heights and plant a church called Harvest Church. Many years ago, God used Faith E, worked through you, and you sent people down to the south side several years ago to plant a church called Living Water to minister to the south side. And you continue to support that church today. Thank you, Lord, for that. Just a few years ago, You sent several people over to Connections Church, a church on the west end, to help restart that church. Thank you, Lord, for using Faith E in that way. You've sent people all over the world, all over the place, on short-term mission trips. As a matter of fact, this is exciting. I want you to hear this. Maybe you already know this, but for the first time post-COVID, we're sending some of our youth on a short-term mission trip over spring break to Bolivia. That's a big deal. I say thank you, Lord, for that as we send off some of those high schoolers, and may it continue to be so. We've also sent missionaries, long-term missionaries, to various places throughout the world, and everybody has a hand in global missions, in sending. We see that with the Church of Antioch. It might be commissioning them, praying for them, supporting them, whatever that may be. And this is something I do want you to take note of, if you would. Also put this in your worship guide, that on February 4th, we're going to have an experience missions time on the last sermon around this series, right after the second service. And we're going to really spotlight our four global partners. We have four global partners that we want you to know about. And that's going to be on February 4th. So make sure you mark that on your calendars. Love to see the whole church body pack this place for that. It's going to be a cool time, a special time. Because everybody has a hand in Global Missions and Sending. It's part of all of our jobs as the church. And speaking of Global Missions, I also want to celebrate one other thing. You know that we had a global giving catalog over the Christmas season. So I just want to give you a little update that over $14,000, God worked through you, and you gave over $14,000 to our four global partners. That's a big deal for them. Again, thank you, Lord, for that. So we can just kind of chill out and rest on our laurels for the rest of the time, right? <laughs> no! May we not rest on our laurels because we still have a lot of work to do. There's always going to be work to do until Jesus comes back and raptures his bride and raptures his church. Because this world is a dark world. There's so many people that are hurting, that are broken, that desperately need to hear the good news that Jesus loves them. And that there is a way and there is only one way and his name is Jesus. So we need to stay the course. We celebrate all that God's done, but we continue to press on. Press on. You know, I recently read a little statistic, a little something in a church leadership article that jumped out at me. One of the top five reasons that churches die is because of this. Listen to this. Everything they do, this is what the article said, everything they do is inward focused. Thought about that, it kind of reminded me of the Dead Sea. Dead Sea, it dead, because just stuff comes in, lots of stuff, lots of water come in, but nothing goes out. There's no outflow. So it gets kind of bloated, stagnant, and slimy. And I praise and thank God that I'm part of a church that's not like the Dead Sea. And by the grace of God himself, may we never become bloated, stagnant, and whiny. I know whining doesn't really fit with the Dead Sea, but you're picking up what I'm throwing down, right? Maybe by the grace of God, that never happen, Because I don't want to be a per- part of a church like that, and at the end of the day, I don't think anybody else does either. Here's the key takeaway to all of what I've been talking about. Really, if this is the one thing that you take away from today's message, probably be okay. And here it is. There's a blank line in your worship guide. I encourage you to fill out these words. Got pens in the seat pocket in front of you if you need one. This is the key takeaway. I think we got it on the screen. We grow when we go because we have a God who sends. We grow when we go because we have a God who sends. We'll talk more about that in the next couple minutes, but I'm not just talking about numerical growth. Yeah, that's important, sure. But I'm talking about spiritual growth and the depths of spiritual health. It's really what I'm talking about. A church grows spiritually when it's on mission, when it's going, and when it's sending because we have a God who sends. We have a God who sends. And, of course, those who are being sent, you know that there's spiritual growth that happens with those who are sent as well. Absolutely the case with Saul and Barnabas. They were sent church releases them the church really doesn't do the sending they just do the releasing it's the holy spirit who does the sending don't want you to miss that that's verse four holy spirit sent them holy spirit's all over acts all over the bible he's the one doing the heavy lifting he's the one doing the sending and i think sometimes as christians well we might get a little skeptical maybe sometimes a little scared the holy spirit if i could use that word And that's unfortunate, may exist, that, that, that skepticism may exist because there's been leaders who have misused and misrepresented him for their own agenda. Could be also that maybe we've just grown so comfortable we feel we don't really need him anymore. But make no mistake, he's at work in our lives. He's at work in the world. We have a God who's transforming the hearts and lives of people through his spirit. We'll talk a little bit more about his work, and what he's doing. But there is one thing I don't want you to miss. The Holy Spirit, when he speaks, it will always align with the Scriptures. When he speaks, it's always going to align with God's Word because he is God. He's the third person of the triune Godhead. Never going to say anything against God's Word. So the more we immerse ourselves in the Word of God, the more we are people of prayer, including fasting, the more in tune, in step, and filled with the Holy Spirit we will be. It's important. It's important. That certainly was the case for Saul and Barnabas. They were sent by the Holy Spirit. They didn't say, ah, maybe a little later. I got some light bulbs to change. Not going to go right now. No, they were sent and they went without hesitation. Verses 4 through 12 really capture that that account, that first account of the beginning of their missionary journey. I'm only going to spend a few minutes in this. going to do a high-level flyover. I'd encourage you, if you haven't already, read these nine verses. It's, It's an incredible passage. It really is. We're just going to talk about them for a few minutes. And the first place that they stop, you can see, this is the beginning of the Apostle Paul's missionary journey. They stop in Cyprus. It's about 40, 50 miles off the coast there. And it was also Barnabas's home place. It's where he grew up, was on Cyprus. So it makes sense for them to stop there first, uh, probably a familiar place to be. And there's two main players in this account besides Saul and Barnabas. That we see. And the first guy's name is a guy named Sergius Paulus. I thought that was a cool Roman name, you know what I mean? I mean, I thought about asking the staff, hey, I need you guys to start calling me Sergius Pauli or something like that. I figured it wouldn't go over very well, so we have this guy named Sergius Paulus. He was a Roman, he was part of an influential Roman family that had been influential for several generations in the Roman Empire. So he was given by the Senate this position as a proconsul in Cyprus. pro is very similar to a governor, being a governor. And we also see in verse 7 that he was an intelligent man. He was discerning. He probably was hearing uh, some of the stirring that was going on with the people there in Antioch and some of what Saul and Barnabas were teaching, and he wanted to know more. But then we're introduced to somebody else, a guy named Bar-Jesus. Interesting name, isn't it? A man named Bar-Jesus who was the proconsul's attendant. And I want you to catch this real quick. Is everybody with me? Give me a little head nod. You doing all right? Okay, okay, we're doing all right, good. Sergius Paulus, like I just said, he was a Roman, Gentile, okay? This bar Jesus, he's he's Jewish. Hold on to that. We're going to come back to that. But he's a Jewish false prophet. We're told he's a sorcerer. He's trying to keep the truth from reaching the pro-council's ears. Bar-Jesus is trying to bar-Jesus from Sergius Paulus. That's what's happening here, really. And you know, when you first see this guy's name, it's kind of funny because his name, Bar-Jesus, means son of Jesus, son of salvation. And when you first hear that, you're like, sounds like a good name to me. Sounds pretty good. I bet Bar-Jesus, he probably looked pretty good, too. But you know what? Hell sometimes comes disguised as something that looks good and sounds good, doesn't it, sometimes? L sometimes comes disguised even as something that may seem true at first. Well, a little later in the passage, we see that he has a second name. Bar-Jesus is also called Elimus. And he's exposed a little bit more with this second name because that second name means sorcerer. He didn't want the truth to reach the ears of the pro-council. Why? Because he didn't want his position, power, or profit to be compromised in any way. That's why. You know, I am so glad we don't have people who are in positions of influence and leadership that hide the truth from others in order to maintain their position, power, and profit today, right? Glad that doesn't happen. I'm sorry. I get so sarcastic sometimes. I probably shouldn't go down that road. But you know what I mean? Look, as Christians, we're all called to be sent. We're all called to be sent, and we need to expect resistance. It's a dark world. We're told that, and we just talked about this not long ago, the world, people in it, seem to love darkness rather than the light. We should expect resistance, and we need to remember that our battle is not against flesh and blood. Oh, no, it's against the spiritual forces of evil and darkness in the heavenly realm. That's why we've got to be people of the word, people of prayer, including fasting, filled with the Spirit, because it's not a battle we can do on our own. Oh, no, it's only done through the Spirit of God. So what's happening. These guys are spending time praying, fasting, teaching, understanding God's Word. So what we see with Saul, Saul, who in verse 9, for the first time in all of Acts, is called Paul. It's the first time in Acts that we see Saul of Tarsus called the Apostle Paul, or Paul. And I want to clear up a common misconception about his name change for just a moment, because I think it's easy to think that at the time of Saul's conversion, that's when he begins to go by Paul. But it's not the case. Remember, this is 13, 14 years later. In addition to that, he had two names that he was given as a child, his Hebrew name, Saul, and also a Roman name, very similar to Saul. His name was Paul. And so, he doesn't change his name at his conversion, no. He begins to go by Paul because he wants to reach those he's been sent to, the Gentiles, who most of them are Romans. You see what's happening here? That's why he begins to go by the Apostle Paul, because it's an inroad to talk to the Romans, to the people he's been sent to serve and to preach the gospel to. I don't know. Perhaps he preferred, maybe it was his preference, to continue to be called Saul. Maybe. I don't know. Because, you know, Saul is the name that his parents gave him. And he was named after Israel's first king, King Saul. It was also a name his parents gave him on his eighth day of circumcision. So maybe he preferred it, but you know what? He let go of the preference, if that was the case. And he went with the name Paul. Later, the apostle Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 19, that he became all things to all people. Slave, became a slave, Jew, a Jew, a Gentile, a Gentile, while all under the law of Christ. I think we can all see, as we continue to study the Apostle Paul, that he's a man of principle. He didn't compromise principles, oh no. He didn't. But he's willing to let go of preferences in order to reach those who he was sent to, in order to reach the lost, and so should we. We must never, never compromise principles We can't allow culture to impact us as Christians and as the church, but the church is called to impact the culture around us. Don't compromise principles, but we've got to be able and willing to let go of our little preferences sometimes in order to reach the lost. If we allow preferences to keep us from going, you know what happens spiritually for that individual that's more concerned about preferences it's pretty easy spiritually for us to get bloated, stagnant, and whiny. You know what I mean? This world, this world doesn't need people fighting over preferences. This world doesn't need more people who are bloated, stagnant, and whiny. We need Christians who are on mission for the kingdom of God. Saul now called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, says to that sorcerer named Helimus, he says this, "Um, Helimus, mister, um, I'm sorry, but what you're doing, you probably shouldn't do that, but you know, I don't want to hurt your feelings, so you go ahead and keep doing what you're doing. No, he didn't say that at all, did he? I asked Laura to read this with some gusto earlier, and I think she did a good job. But this is what the Apostle Paul says to Elymas. He looks him straight in the eye. In verse 10, he says this, you are a child of the devil. See what he's doing, though? This is great. Bar Jesus, acting like son of Jesus, son of salvation, Paul's calling him for who he is, and he's saying, no, you're a son of the devil. And an enemy of everything that is right, you're full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Wow! Apostle Paul, what's up? Pretty strong words, but needed, necessary. Uh, Think of it this way. If you had a child who's running in front of a bus, would you say, Man, don't do do that. No, 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 not a good idea. No, you'd be stern. You'd do everything you could to keep him out of traffic. The Apostle Paul is saying, no more of this. Uh-uh. You're trying to keep the truth away. And something bigger's at stake. Eternity is at stake, both for Elemus and for the pro-council. And, and in addition to that, these aren't the Apostle Paul's words. This is the very word of God spoken through him by the Holy Spirit. That's what we see. It's the Holy Spirit speaking through him. I think sometimes we don't want to go. We don't want to be sent. This is the ca- case for me. I think sometimes we don't want to be sent because we're afraid that if we go, we won't have all the answers. We won't even know what to say. Right? I mean, before I became a pastor, I, uh, I said, Lord, I'm not so sure. That's a great idea. I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know. I don't have all the answers. And now look at me. I have plenty to say sometimes. <laughs> but, you know, there's still plenty of times it's a, it's a feeling of inadequacy. I deal with it. I deal with it. Lord, right. no, I can't. I can't. What am I, I, I going to say? But you know what? We need to take a lesson from what we're studying today. Because where God sends, he'll tell us what to say. He'll speak. Where he sends, he'll prepare you. Where he sends, he'll tell you what to say. Kind of like Pastor Matt shared last week, the Uber driver. Uber driver. The Lord told him what to say to him. Where he sends, he'll tell you what to say. And, and I heard it, I've heard it stated this way, and I kind of like, like this. This isn't from me. I heard this from somebody else. But the statement goes like this. God doesn't send just the qualified. He qualifies the sent. Because, you know, none of us qualified. I'm not qualified. It's his spirit. It's Christ in us that qualifies us. You just do the sending. We just got to trust and obey. We need to stay in step with the spirit by being immersed in his word, people of prayer, including fasting. That's our job. He does the rest. The Holy Spirit does the heavy lifting. Well, after Paul said that to Elimas, we see that this sorcerer, this false prophet, Elemus, he goes blind. <laughs> I love this. Think about this. The very first miracle that God does... Through the Apostle Paul, on his first missionary journey, is he blinds somebody. It's okay to laugh. He blinds not just somebody, not a Gentile, but a Jewish guy who's a false prophet who's doing what? Trying to keep the gospel from reaching other people's ears. He blinds them physically, this guy that's living in spiritual darkness. He blinds him, and now this guy, Elimus, needs to be led around by the hand. Does this sound at all familiar? Oh, Good. This is God's word. Who said studying his word isn't fun? That's what's happening. And I know, I have to believe that the apostle Paul recognizes how much grace and mercy is in the blinding of this sorcerer, this false prophet, because first we see in verse 11 that the blinding is only temporary, it's only for a little while. And it's the exact same thing that Paul experienced on the road to Damascus, remember? and i believe the apostle paul understands the amount of grace that's in this because he knows that god can use the physical blinding the difficult times the hard times to draw people from darkness into light what happened with elemas no idea other than he was blinded did he see the light of christ did he become a christian don't know i have no idea but we do know what happened with Sergius Paulus, the proconsul. He saw, I love this, he, his eyes were opened and he saw what had happened. And he heard the teaching about the Lord and he believed. He becomes the very first Gentile convert on the Apostle Paul's first missionary journey. The very first guy whose eyes were opened, who the Apostle Paul, God used to lead from darkness to light. We're going to see Sergius Pauli one day in heaven. That's going to be pretty good. I can't wait. You see, here it is. There's another blank line in the beginning, at the bottom of your worship guide. It begins with the word others. Others. And I'd encourage you to fill this out too. Others grow when we go because we have a God who sins. A God who works through his people to accomplish his divine will. Others grow when we go because we have a God who sends. happened with Sergius Pauli. Apostle Paul, Barnabas were sent. And he believes. He grew. We have a God who sends. We have a God who sends. We have a God who so loved this world that he sent his one and only son into it. And Jesus came and with him came the kingdom of God. And Jesus didn't come saying, Hey, sorry I'm late, I don't want to be here. No, he came at just the right time while we were still sinners. He didn't wait for us to get better because we can't. He's the only one who can transform us and redeem us. And that's what he did by dying on the cross through his blood. And he rose from the grave three days later. And before he ascended into the heavenly throne room next to the right hand of the Father, he said to his disciples in Matthew 28, and he says to each one of us, Go! 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 Paul, go, go, go into the nations, go and make disciples, go. We're told to go because we have a God who sends. I'm just going to ask you, it's a question we've really been wrestling with throughout the series, where's God sending you? Where's God sending you? Where are you being sent to? You might be in high school, college, whatever, and you're sent. Maybe there's that high schooler that's being picked on, being bullied. Maybe you're sent to stand up for him. Maybe you're going to be sent sometime this week, maybe even later today, into that line at Albertsons and you got a mom whose hands are full because kids are screaming and she needs a word of encouragement. Maybe you're sent to give her that word of encouragement. Maybe you're going to be sent into the workplace to be a light. You know, I read a uh, Christmas letter from somebody and they've been at the refinery for 40 years and they're leading a Bible study there. That's being sent. Maybe you're going to be sent to talk to your neighbor who just lost their child and encourage them and walk alongside of them. That's being sent. Maybe you're being sent to even serve somehow in the church. You know, if you've ever been to the 9 a.m. service, you've come through the front doors, and I know you've been blessed if you come through these doors over here. And I'm going to say his name because you've met and you've been greeted by a young man named Ty. And I want to tell you, I love all y'all's faces, I do. But I look forward to his face probably more than any other because he comes up to me and he gives me a hug and he says, Pastor Paul, my brother, and it encourages me. And ties being sent. You know, it also encourages me and it challenges me when I hear people answer God's call to be sent and go overseas. And so we're going to end the service, the teaching time, in a unique way. I'm going to ask Jay Forseth to come up front and share with us a little bit about an experience he recently had. Jay's superintendent of the evangelical church, he's a good leader, and he's a good friend.
2: Over two decades ago, this church trained up my wife and I and sent us to Columbus to pastor. And we've been so grateful uh, for all these years, and it's just tremendous to be back here with you today. Recently, though, God has sent me to a country in Southern Asia, a country whose name I cannot share because of the sensitivity and the persecution that occurs there. This country would fit in the land between Billings and Missoula but has one half of America's population 170 million people in the land between Billings and Missoula and the gospel is exploding there we partner with a group there who sent out a need that they had for bibles in people's home language And could we help? And so I asked 108 American churches to participate. 24 churches responded yes. And Faith E was one of them. Thank you so much. We raised $64,000 to buy 8,000 Bibles. And it breaks my heart to tell you today that Three of my Bible distributors have been brutally murdered, giving out God's word. I know it because our enemies send me pictures of their dismembered bodies. But I'm incredibly encouraged that the wives of these men simply say, well, that's fine, we'll just carry on the ministry. I am here today to tell you about the single greatest hour of ministry that I have ever been involved in. And your Bibles, through the Holy Spirit, were a part of it. The first picture you're about ready to see is me in this country training new pastors. I'm the guy up front with my interpreter, and uh, she's there, I'm there. And we're learning about the nine fruits of the Spirit. I'm teaching them how to make disciples, how to baptize, how to make a sermon, all different kinds of things. And it was such a great honor. Next picture. These are all former Hindus. And there's your Bibles. The actual Bibles that you provided in their home language And they're really proud to have them and thankful for the opportunity. Next picture. Look at their joy. They seem to be much happier than American Christians. Well, the guy who's hugging me for two days would not let me go. I mean, he is in my bubble. And I learned that he had been persecuted mightily for his faith. Think of like ripping your toenails off type stuff. And every time I see this picture, I just remember my brothers over there. And it it reminds me to pray for them as often as I can. Next picture. While in country, new Christian converts that were Muslim heard that the bishop was there. That's me. They called their religious leader Iman and learned that I was the Iman to Iman's. And they asked if I would drive five hours to baptize new secret believers. Some of them are in the picture that you're seeing right now. And there's your Bibles again in their home language. Before baptizing each one of them, they would tell me their testimony. And if you can't feel the Holy Spirit working, you simply aren't paying attention. In fact, there have been times in my life when If the Holy Spirit would have jumped up and bit me in the calf like a chihuahua, I still wouldn't have known it. But I believe the Holy Spirit is here today, is working mightily, just like he was on this day. This guy was an insurance salesman, a Muslim. He had an encounter with Christ. He came baptized in his home country, and when they found out that he was a Christian, no one would buy insurance from him anymore. So he lost all means of making money, but you can't stop this guy from telling people about Jesus. This man alone, through the Holy Spirit, has been responsible for planting over 200 secret house churches. Of six to eight people, where the people rotate around in secret every week, New places so that no authority can catch up to them. This lady right here in the front, which you think she's wearing Muslim garb, it's actually not Muslim garb, it's Arab garb. Has nothing to do with her religion, what she's wearing. But she doesn't know Jesus, and she's Muslim, and she goes to sleep one night, and Jesus meets her in her dreams and she believes instantly and the next morning wakes up and goes and finds this pastor and he tells her more about jesus and she has been responsible for planning 30 house churches many of the people in the picture here today are from her house churches one of the ladies in the back row was telling me about the beatings that occurred after she knew christ And then she started telling me about the torture. Think about hot knives and chains. And I felt like the Holy Spirit told me to tell her about some Bible verses. And she quickly responded to me The Holy Spirit told me this morning that you were going to tell me that. And you can't stop her from telling people about Jesus. Another lady was suffering PTSD, I believe, from her persecution. And I felt like I was supposed to tell her to cast all her cares on Jesus because Jesus cared for her. And the pastor said, I just memorized that verse this week. The Holy Spirit told me to memorize that verse. And now I know why. One of these ladies, when she became a Christian, her husband, who she married for love, which is unusual in their culture because most of the marriages are arranged, her husband of love found out she was a Christian. He beat her profusely, took their children, and left her. She had no means of support, no family structure whatsoever. But you can't stop her from telling other people about Jesus. And it brings me great joy to tell you that her husband of love returned two weeks ago. And he's been reading the Bible you provided every day for the last two weeks. And I believe he's going to become a Christian very soon. Next picture. I'm protecting their identities, and I'm baptizing them in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the first American that I showed this picture to had the audacity to say, well, that baptism didn't count. Which by the way is probably the problem, isn't it? Here in America. Always those who aren't doing it, try and castrate those who are. You see, this gal, two minutes after I baptize her, will sneak out the backside of the compound and will go back to her community. And if people around her would have seen her soaking wet body, they would have asked her what happened. And she would have been bold enough to say, I just got baptized for Jesus Christ. And she probably would have died for it. And I don't want that on my conscience you're never going to find a former Muslim wear a t-shirt or a bathing suit in public. They're not going to jump into somebody's bathtub and get baptized. But they have the courage to publicly get baptized at great risk of losing their lives. Next picture. Again, I protect his identity. I baptize him The way you're going to baptize people in just a couple weeks with the exact same words. Maybe next week. I baptize you in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Have you been baptized? Well, why not? It's a public declaration of being on Jesus' team. You participate in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ while being baptized. Are you worried what your family members are going to think about you or your neighbors? Are you worried about getting your hair wet in front of a bunch of other people? Well, you don't have a thing to worry about compared to what these dear people are willing to suffer in the name of Jesus Christ. After I baptized that man, he walked away from me And I felt like the Holy Spirit instantly shouted in my head, stop him. And so I followed after him very quickly. My interpreter right behind me, I put my hand on his shoulder. He turned around and looked at me and he had a very solemn look on his face. Which is not usually what we see after baptizing somebody. Usually we want to cheer and clap, although they said no clapping, no cheering. We don't want the neighbors to get alarmed. But he was stone cold serious. I later learned that's because he knew what was going to face him when he walked out the stone gate. And so I felt like the Holy Spirit said, say joy. And I said it, and his face lit up like a Christmas tree. And he said, thank you for the reminder. And I do leave here joyful in Jesus Christ. I'm just a coach from Montana. And somehow Jesus called and sent and through his Holy Spirit allowed me to participate in these amazing things. They estimate they're going to plant 3,000 house churches in the next three years because you can't stop them from proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. They're going to sing a song with us all called Send Me. But I'm going to tell you about three people I talked to after the service, last service. One young family I walked up to little baby, young kid, dad, and a mom. And I felt like the Holy Spirit told me to ask him, Are you praying with your wife? Well, I didn't want to say that to a person I've never met. But I said it, I think the wife's gonna vote me for president, first of all. (laughs) But part of the sending and going thing is just obeying what you think he's asking you to do. It doesn't have to be international, it can be local. Like a guy I talked to out there who was leaned up against the wall and you could tell He didn't want anybody to approach him. He was was so close against the wall, he was trying to blend in. I felt like the Holy Spirit said, just go up and talk to him. So I sneak over. Hi, I'm Jay. Hi, I'm I'm such and such. And I I was kind of hoping no one was going to talk to me. And I said, well, I feel like I was supposed to. And he then unpackaged what he was going through. And he said, thanks just for coming over and saying hi. It doesn't take much to go. Just walk across the room. Look across your street. The next office next to you. Say, here am I. Send me.